Hello everyone and welcome to the Learning Experience Podcast. Coming up on today's episode. I explain the video on playing the patch, whether it'll be successful or not. Yeah, you might not get a second once. Yeah, really badly. You don't get a second. All of our learning is we're learning is driven by the sets of these. So if you said to us all, we've got to learn to fit the radiator, we need to fit the radiator tomorrow, I go home, I sit my feet, put my feet up. Turn the heat down and go, hang on, it's warm enough. Exactly. That, that would be my approach. <laughs> yeah. um, we already yeah. talked about read a book, then do brain surgery. Probably not the best approach. No, I, I'm thinking, but Chris has volunteered, so, you know. Well, it's on tape podcast. My name is Nick, I'm your host. Uh, today we're going to be talking all about technology in learning. So I thought it would be interesting to introduce our two guests on the show today and ask them a little bit about their life, their backgrounds when it comes to learning, but also their most memorable piece of technology. Not necessarily learning related, but most memorable piece of technology. So I will start. I think my most memorable piece or my earliest piece of, of technology was probably the PlayStation 1. Those of you listening can probably gauge my age from that so I'm not sure how I quite feel and I'm, I'm sure when the, when the other two guests introduce themselves they might not feel the best about it either. Um, but let's have a look, let's see who our guests are. So Chris, I've, I've said your name but we're going to start with you. So, yeah. so I'm Chris, Chris Budding. Um, my most memorable piece of technology, and this will indeed show my age, because got it, the year it was manufactured in its title, was the ZX81, um, which was a little computer that, that came in a kit, and I helped my father build as a infant-ish. Um, infant-ish. Infant-ish. Yes. I think it was about two or three. Um, and yeah, the all the games I played didn't come on CD. I had to get a book sometimes. And, and type in all the code mm -hmm. and then hit run, play it once, and then start typing again. There's probably some people of an old generation who are quite envious of that fact because I guess you almost learn coding in a way from. Yeah, from yeah. I learned basic by the time I was like three or four because that's the only way I got to play games. Absolutely. So thank you, Vic. Hello. You are next. Hello. Hello, my name is Vicky Manning Boyer. Um, I'm the Learning and Performance Manager. I think. I, I kind of get that there was a computer in the house, mm. but I don't really know why we had it. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know what it did. Interestingly, I can remember monkeying around with it and just pressing one of the keys until Zed's filled up the screen and it said, do you want to confirm this program? Mm. So I don't know what I did. You but my first, yeah, yeah. I, I broke it good. Um, but my first memorable point, I think I was about 14 when I got my first mobile phone. Um, and that was phenomenal because I was traveling a lot at that time and it was amazing to be able to keep in contact with people mm -hmm. and a level of security that I didn't necessarily have before. And the, how would you keep in contact with people? Was it a text message? Uh, text Come messages, on. yeah. Um, but the text messages were like very different to what you have now. And so it was like full script and I had proper grammar and all that sort of thing. But phone calls are mainly phone calls home. Uh, so I didn't, I'm 14, I didn't have a wild life going on. Yeah, probably didn't have friends with 
the similar technology to be able to ring and text and um I probably had there was two that I remember had them but interestingly we didn't use the mobile phone like we do now you just pick up your mobile phone and I don't have a landline anymore so it was attached to you yeah you now, isn't it? Uh, and I don't know how you guys feel but going out of the house without a mobile phone I feel vulnerable again but it was interesting getting the mobile phone initially made me feel less vulnerable so it was very strange so we're going to talk a lot about today technology and learning. Primarily, of course, we're a learning-focused podcast, but we want to talk about technology in learning. So I think probably a good place to start would be the evolution of technology in learning. So we've come a long way from the very beginning of, of learning to, to the modern day and age that we find ourselves in now. But I'm interested to hear your opinions on the way technology has evolved. And it could be over the last couple of years, it could be the last 10 years, the last 50 years. We could go back as far as drawing pictures on the side of a, a cave to let other people around you know that there was a, a monster of some description in the area, right? Because you might not necessarily, back in those times when you do you know, cave drawings, you might not have had a coherent language to speak with the people around you, but you could still give a message and tell a story and to be fair, a transfer of knowledge is primarily what learning is, right? So learning has evolved from drawing on the side of a cave wall with some paint that you made somehow, like who knows how that paint was made, <laughs> right? But the paint was made and you, you drew on the side of the wall to maybe more modern times you've got writing and books and then you've got overhead projectors and powerpoints and, and then we can progress and talk about the future a little bit later on so how has technology impacted learning over however long we want to go back and talk about what do we think i mean interesting you talk about like cavemen and monsters or, or whatever was about then um but i think the when i think back when i when i think about transfer of learning in its earliest form, I always think of folk music and mm. the travelling minstrel. And yeah. I, I used to read Asterix <laughs> as a kid, and he always had that, that cacophonix, the, the awful bard. But those people, or, or um, um, Chaucer, travelling around and, and telling the tales. Yeah. Um, I think that's the earliest for me. So I don't know where writing down of, of those tales and stories came in. I, I think it's really curious when you talk about learning evolution because you do go back to prehistoric times and there was learning happening. We evolved as a species and, you know, we are apex predators, if that's the way you want to put it, because we learn. Mm -hmm. And if we go to the very nature of evolution, evolution is applied learning to some degree. Now, physical evolution happens over centuries, of course it does, but we are a species who can learn and adapt incredibly quickly and I think when we look at learning as a species we've taken a long time to get where we are not in the big scheme of things but when we talk about cave drawings or writings within pyramids um, all these sorts of things to where we are now I think what is very strange if we've just gone round talked about the PS1 yeah. and your computer that you wrote code on and my mobile phone that was the size of a brick um, versus where we are now in such a short period of time I think that's the curious thing that 
technology is going hand in hand with neuroscience, mm -hmm. understanding how people learn, and the advancements are so fast, so radically fast, that is showing the very best of us as a species that we can adapt. But do you think that, so I know we were talking before this um, about the, the gap between when things were starting to be written down until the point where you had the ability to read societally, so that like a massive ability yeah. to read. You're talking about like Egyptian times yes. starting to write things down. It might be hieroglyphics, right? But yeah, it's like starting to write. Papyrus or whatever they yeah. wrote down and things. And you'd have the, the elite who and the yeah. Pharisees who could really um, write and read. Right through to like what, the eighteen hundreds where the mass education for people being able to read and write? In the in the UK, right? Round here, yeah. In the UK. Round here. There are still like, probably a, a large number of people on earth who can't read and write. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's still growing. So like, that's a big chunk of time. So, like, yeah, technology has evolved. But do you think there's a, like, there's a lot of evolution that needs to happen for us? There is. And I think that's the exciting part, though. When you look at technology, and, and sorry, I, I kind of meant to say it earlier, the, the bit you were talking about with Asterix, that stayed. There are fundamentals that have stayed with us because they're tried and tested, and that's the storytelling side mm -hmm. of things. But with all this understanding, with the digital, with the, with the tools we have catching up with our ability, and I know sometimes we see it the other way around, that we're catching up with technology. Actually, technology is enabling us to do what we've always been able to do as a species. That's the exciting thing. But I suppose we've got laggards in that journey, haven't we? And I think that if you'd asked, if you'd spoken to me about digital, digital in learning or machines in learning five, six years ago, I'd have been really excited and I would have had uh, a view of like, the future and what we'd like to see and everything. And I think now it's a bit tainted. My view on it is, is really tainted. And, and you mentioned OHP earlier over projectors. Mm -hmm. um, mm. And I can remember my teacher having, I had a history teacher who was also a Welsh teacher and she was brilliant at teaching Welsh. She was shocking at teaching history. And she'd write pre points of everything yeah. on overhead, like what you call them, acetate, um, yeah. piece of, of acetate and put them on the overhead projector. And it was just mind-numbing, just watching bullet points on a screen. And then it wasn't we moved even to screen. PowerPoint. Well, it wasn't even a screen then, there was a yeah, projection. It was projected on a wall somewhere. But then we moved it into, <laughs> like, my last company, and we had digital overhead projectors yeah. Yeah. hooked up to computers mm -hmm. where the slides would be on PowerPoint and it's, I'd still be reading 40 bullet points off a screen. Like, nothing had changed. The use of that technology didn't match the evolution of the technology. And and that is probably where I think my big caution is, just because you have the technology, doesn't mean to say you take the old way of doing things, just digitalise it, it will be fine. Because the PowerPoint then is no different from the acetate. Why are you doing that? You know, what's the difference? Whereas actually what you can do with things like PowerPoint is imagery and different viewpoints and different understanding that comes from it. If you, that's where I think there is a tendency, and I'm not, my age is gonna show here, but I was with an organization within learning in the 90s. And that was all about, you know, someone had read an article about brain-friendly learning, so let's spend 40 grand on bean bags and koosh balls. No, <laughs> no, just because you have something, understand the science behind it, and remember the individual, otherwise you are just using the technology to replace outdated models of ways to teach. And very few people learn like that. 
Do you think that the advancement of technology, so we've talked about overhead projectors and PowerPoint, do you think that the the, the, the shift away from projectors to PowerPoint, still with a digital projector now, but you know, you've got a PowerPoint presentation, has that benefited? I know we, we, we talked about delivering in the same way, you, you still potentially have bullet points on the screen, but does the use of the technology, does the use of PowerPoint or any other presentation software like Canva, for example, does has that benefited learning in any way for you? Yes, I don't think you can deny that it has. It has massively because what it does is create a degree of excitement and curiosity around learning. You, you couldn't have um, an animation on acetate. What, do you just move it really fast? <laughs> um, so you, you don't have that element. You can't bring it alive very easily. On, on PowerPoint, you can have different effects. You can have different characters. And PowerPoint, if you take it to its purest mechanism, should be about the presenter and using PowerPoint as an aid to mm -hmm. the presentation as opposed to the other way around. Yeah, so, and you go back to overhead projectors, you would have to like go three classrooms down and borrow the TV and wheel it in yeah. to get a video. You know, <laughs> you just keep and is it Betamax or is it VHS? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, and, and I think that, so technology absolutely advances learning. I think though we're just coming into a new age of it saying, okay, how do we make it specific for the individual? Right. But I think this is the danger as well. So yes, we, we, we're now in this like hybrid remote working age and we haven't got the overhead projector now hooked up to the computer. We've got Teams or WebEx or Zoom mm -hmm. acting in the same way. Yeah. And I think even the language, like we use breakout rooms to say you're going into a different room, you're not. You're, 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 where you you're are. still in the same place. Yeah. You're physically <laughs> we haven't got teleportation yet. Yeah. And I don't know whether that's the, the people behind Zoom and WebEx and Teams and all, all of those wanting to be relatable so they're using language that is relatable or yeah. if it is that even the people behind the software and the, and the new ways of doing things and the technology are still stuck in how do we deliver the old way of doing things using yeah. technology and you've got classroom-based learning haven't you if we, if we talk about pre-pandemic pre levels of learning you've got classroom learning and, and potentially if you gave a a group of delegates an activity you'd put them in different corners of the room yeah. Right. yeah. Maybe not break out as in go to a break room and do this. Yeah. It's more of a let's let's break out into different areas of the room and, and do something. It, there's a chance that they've just taken that to that terminology and just kept it so that people who are being forced to adapt very quickly to, to deliver this kind of learning experience online still has something familiar to get along with so that they don't feel so out of depth, potentially. And, and I, I get that because change can't happen without bringing people along. So if you can give people a tether and saying, look, this is familiar, this is safe, because we all know learning doesn't happen when fear is involved, for example, that that just stops. That's that's a biological thing. You can't learn when you're petrified because then it becomes about survival. Interesting. Coming soon on the podcast, fear and learning and how it all interacts with each other and learning under stress. So. We'll come back to you for that one. Oh, definitely. Oh, I love that subject. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so if we can give people a tether to the familiar, that's that's great. But again, it, it's kind of like, are we using this in the right way? We've got technology, but are we maximising the opportunity of those technologies? We've got PowerPoint to do all these amazing things with, and PowerPoint is a lot better than people think. Yeah. It's not... Canva you mentioned and Prezi and all this stuff out there is phenomenal 
But PowerPoint's pretty good if you use it for its intended purposes. So I think that's kind of the danger, that's the watch point with digital saying, look, you use the tools, don't let the tools use you. And if you're gonna have a breakout room and you have a breakout room virtually, I get the tether to the language, it's familiar, it's safe. That's where learning can happen. But if you're doing a PowerPoint, why are you there if it's all about the content? Can't you just send the content out to people? If all you're doing is voicing it, record the voice over the PowerPoint presentation, why do you yeah. need to be there? If you're there, it's because people love storytelling. People need a person to bring it alive for them. So it's that technology and humanity when they meet, that's the sweet spot for me. Yeah, you're right there. And I think what we've been talking about doing it is like, um is technology and training and technology and teaching and we, we haven't been talking about technology and learning really because like I don't know you for if I put a shelf up in that well not a shelf up because I'm, I'm okay doing that I've practiced it but um, if I'm going to do a bit of DIY in the house then it's something I haven't done before I learn it by I'll google it and I read a bit I'll then use YouTube videos and watch someone do it um, perhaps I'll talk to someone about it maybe so like if I built a wall, I've used all these resources and it's kind of like the matrix, isn't it? It's like post post matrix thinking that if I wanted to fly a helicopter out of a tank, can you can you like download the, the specs for this helicopter? Yeah. No, I'll go on YouTube and go, right, building a wall, these are the blocks I've got. How do I mix mortar for these blocks? Will it be more likely to find a video on that than how do I how do I fly this Apache? Absolutely. Well, I don't know. You might, might find a video on flying Apache, but whether it'll be successful or not. Well, yeah, you might not get a second attempt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you might once. Yeah, really badly. Yeah. You don't get a second attempt. It's one of those. And, and I think that's the interesting thing. So if I kind of said to us, right, tonight we've got to go home, and by the end of the week we've got to fit a new radiator, each of us. How are we going to learn? So some people will go, okay, I've got to fit some radiators. I'm going to book myself on a course at the local college. I'm going to do that. Then there's other people who go, okay, I'm going to read the spec. There's other people who will call a plumber and contract them out. There's other people who will go, okay, I'm going to talk to somebody else. Can you do a show and tell with me and I'll learn as I go? And there's other people, and Chris, you might be in this bracket, just watch a YouTube video and shut off the water. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> go for it. Now, that's what I mean by technology needs to meet the humanity is we can't sheep dip learning. And I think that's a good point that you made, that there's a difference between training and learning. Learning is the ability to gain a new skill, some knowledge or ability, and then putting that skill and ability into practice. Now, that's not always appropriate. I could read a book on brain surgery. It doesn't mean say I well, should experiment. You make mistakes, wouldn't you? I know. Right? <laughs> Jack Ripper started saying <laughs> The consequence is a little too high for me. However, unless you're willing to be my first experimentation, <laughs> So there, there's got to be, you've got to have the knowledge, skills and experience. And that's where the experiential learning and the guided experiential learning comes into it. I wouldn't just change a radiator, but I would ask somebody yeah. to give me a hand. So I'd look at the YouTube videos. I might glance at the manual. I'm not the biggest reflective learner. So when I get an Ikea piece, I have a bash at it. What's going to happen? Yeah. Literally with a hammer, just start back. Uh, on occasion, yeah, with Ikea, definitely. You just turn it so the bit with the dowels would come out is against the wall. I do. <laughs> when it goes horribly wrong, just get a drill. It'll be fine. And, but I think that's the difference and, and that's where the 
like I said, technology and humanity hand in hand, I think is just beautiful. And it's brought us full circle, actually. I never thought of this before, but a lot of that learning is where learning is driven by necessity, isn't it? So if you said to us all, we've got to learn to fit the radiator and we need to fit the radiator tomorrow, I'd go home, I'd sit my feet, put my feet up, turn the heating on and go, I'm not fitting the radiator, I'm warm enough. Exactly. That, that would be my approach. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think the, it's necessity, isn't it? If I went home and my heating didn't work, and it's a weird one because my, my wife's family are all plumbers, so I'd probably just bring one of them. But if I wasn't married to her, then yeah, I'd probably take a radiator off a wall, turn the water off, maybe. Mm-hmm. If you remember. If I remember. Yes, I definitely is. remember when I got wet. Yes. You'd only learn once. Yeah, and I'd learn through that mistake. Yeah. So I think necessity drives learning and technology nowadays aids that a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. It also it enables as well as aids, doesn't it? It yeah. enables you to be able to learn in a way that suits you as an individual the best, right? We've we yeah. already talked about read a book then do brain surgery. Probably not the best approach. No, I, I'm thinking, but Chris has volunteered, so, you know. Yeah, and it's on tape now. And brain yeah. surgery would practice, wouldn't they? they? I mean, they have cadavers that they practice on when they go to medical school. So that's the interesting thing, just, just, and this is totally off subject, but yeah, they used to do loads of stuff on cadavers, and now they're doing loads of stuff on VR. Yeah, definitely not off topic, though, because... Well, I What's don't want next? to operate on a brain, but... No, yeah. you don't. But, it, like, if you've watched The Good Doctor, for example, a really good TV show, Medical Student, okay. there's a, a... You know, there's, there's situations where they are learning as, like, third-year medical students in yeah. the States to do new operations to try new things out and they will they will go into a room they will have vr they will yeah put their headset on they will have finger tracking on it and they will be able to perform the operation as though it's a real life situation got all the sats and everything on display and they show that you're able to learn hands-on without the negative impact of maybe that you reading a book and trying to operate. But is that... He's volunteered. I'm is just that putting happening on. though? Or is it war games? You're just paranoid society. Is there... People are going to, to have their teeth whitened in Turkey and they actually going to have it done by the VR guys learning, doing the training at dentistry school in Ohio. Who <laughs> got the VR on and the other end of it is this machine in Turkey that's whitening your teeth and they get it wrong. Yeah, I get that, but... Yeah, I would argue with that totally. So if you look at the most car accidents, it's caused by human errors more than technical failure. So is there technical failure? Absolutely. But a lot of pilots, and not disrespecting the pilots, but autopilot's there. Yeah. You know? Um, So I I think uh, VR is really exciting. Um, It's been around for ages, though. We talk about something new, but how long have they had flight simulators out there? It's been around, but it's becoming more mainstream. I mean, my son's got a VR set, and I went ghost hunting on it, which was fantastic, and went to Vegas with it on. Didn't gamble or anything, just had a walk around. But I think there's the halfway house, there's the augmented reality, and that's getting exciting as well. And it's not push, we can't push faster and people want to go but we can say look this is a bit different and we acknowledge everyone's a little bit different this might be this might be the match for you but are they very niche like AR and I love augmented reality I absolutely love augmented reality and I wear glasses so if Google Glass or something like that actually mm. was quicker then AR would suit me because I just I wear yeah. them but 3D, 3D movies were fantastic when 3D movies came out in the 60s and you had to wear 
red and green. <laughs> 3D moves are still a thing. I saw the new Avatar film in 3D. Yeah, and then the first, still there. I watched the first Avatar in 3D and I thought that was fantastic. But it drops off, doesn't it? People mm. aren't, it's a fad. And I think VR and AR, until it can be seamless, is a fad. No, I mean, that seamless could be having an operation and having something, a lens fitted to your eye or, I mean, I know people now who've got like contactless payment yeah, and subdermal chips. In the hand, yeah. Yeah. So. I don't know, I did a VR course in, not the last company I worked for, the one before. So we had a team of engineers um, construction essentially part of it and they were doing working at heights training now typically what they would do as part of that is they'd have some training and then they would work at heights they actually did some of the working at heights training on the ground they never moved an inch off the ground by using VR and it was a really safe really engaging way of doing it and really efficient as well now I don't think we can bring in VR where we are necessarily at the moment, but is there, is there the potential of saying, look, humanity meets technology, and maybe we talk about handling a difficult customer. Maybe we could use some elements of that. I, I, I think it'd be interesting to see what, what happens with the metaverse. I think, I personally think it'll be a bit of a flop, just because it doesn't integrate it's like the PlayStation. Mm -hmm. It's something you've got to go to a certain place to do. And yeah. it's great for things like that. And it's great for yeah. working the heights without being hit by a seagull. Or, um, <laughs> I think it was mainly yes, not that's, falling that's off. That's the problem. <laughs> oh, not, not falling off. Yeah. yeah, that's the problem. Well, I thought, you mean, the, the pandemic and the lack of hard hats. So you didn't have to wear a hard hat if you've got a VR, VR unit on. Is that, is that what I did? It depends how fully immersed you want to be, right? If you've got a VR headset on with a hard hat on, surely that would make your immersion better. Yeah, possibly. And what, what's going to fall on you? But <laughs> actually, dead, dead if you're higher, what is going to fall on you? If you're at the highest <laughs> point, why wear a hard hat? I don't think that's why they wear... We are really going off topic. Yeah, I don't yeah, think actually, that's yeah. why they wear the hard hats. But seagulls, clearly, is but the biggest it, danger. There are. And I think like for surgery or for mm. flying planes or for... If you're going to learn to drive a tank before you jump in like a multi-million pound machine and crash it, learn it on AR or VR. And then implement that. So I think that's, that works. But uh, if I want to learn to play snooker, I mean, just going to learn it. I mean, I'm going but, play but, but that's where the that's where I think it's the humanity and technology. You can't go to technology. So VR, virtual reality, isn't a role play, a form of VR, low tech version of VR. Yeah. And I think what we can't dismiss is the brain's impact on the enjoyment of experiential learning and and that is we can't turn learning into a tick box exercise because you know tick box miss point yeah. and and i think we can't we can't miss that and that's where it has to be technology and humanity so it's all about integrating it correctly yeah. so you've got technology has advanced from everything we've talked about whiteboards you know chalkboards overhead projectors, projectors, PowerPoint, VR and AR in the future potentially coming our way, but it's all about how do we integrate that with society? How do we really make it work for that individual? How do we utilize the technology that's available presently to really give people the best chance of learning and absorbing something new? And I think that's where the sweet spot is, is saying that this works for me. I'm at home in my office. I've got a chalkboard where I write reminders to myself that loads of people laugh about. 
Um, Which I've could got... easily be replaced by a whiteboard, so then you're progressing in the technology. It could be, but chalkboard is really easy to wipe down, there's no plastics involved, it's just chalk. Oh, so it's the eco-friendly side. It's an element of it, you but... Must, you must surely just like grating your nails on it as well, right? Oh, I always used to do that at school, yeah. but that's because I was naughty. Um, and I've got this chalkboard, which is low-tech, very, very low-tech, but it works for me. Mm -hmm. And I've got a robot vacuum. So it's not that I'm technologically, technologically averse, it's just actually I find what works for me. And... What's wrong with that? But then, so low carbon, I know you mentioned ingest then, and, and this whole um, like power shortage and fuel shortages and mm -hmm. everything that's happening in society at the minute. How reliant is everything we do on electricity? Like in the last, what, 100, 200 years since we've had, less than 200 years, 100 odd years since electricity gets to the home and gets to the office, technology is now very reliant on, technology is essentially reliant on power. So if there was a power cut mm -hmm. um, and a short power cut, then your your chalkboard would work, and that's fine. But as people become more reliant on like VR and AR, is there a danger in that? Like if, if we you know, if we had some kind of thermonuclear war start and it knocked out supplies of for power stations and and all of that, and we're all sitting there, like there's learning stuff that doesn't, does it? People still learn. And, and interestingly, just two things on that. One, if there's a thermonuclear war, I don't think my chalkboard or my vacuum are going to be that important. The hard hat might be. Yeah, yeah. to be fair. Um, but secondly, interestingly, and the pandemic shows us this, when things get very real, that's when learning needs to be top of its game. Look at the pandemic. Mm. Um, learning to understand the, the virus and things. We yeah. have to be top of our game for learning. So if you want a degree of resilience in any organisation, or any individual for that. So I look back on the hardest times in my life, I've had to lean on learning that I've had, otherwise I would have felt vulnerable. This resilience is based in learning, and and that is a massive message. Not thermonuclear war, <laughs> admittedly, but, because I'm not sure what I could teach you to help, <laughs> but learning is, is will make the difference between success or failure when things get tough. We've also got to though think about adapting and maybe not even adapting maybe just adopting technology because it's a really interesting point about the reliance on electricity mm. but there, there's got to become a time where as a, as a society we are just accepting of that reliance because you made the point Chris about having you know if if the power went out tomorrow the chalkboard would be really useful but the argument you know the other side of that argument is would it though? Because Vic, you work from home, right? You're mm -hmm. in Bristol. Yeah. I work from home a lot of the time in the Rhondda Valleys. Chris, you're up in Merthyr. Yeah. How does a blackboard help in that situation? Because none, none of none of you can see it because we're all in different places. And and I think I think that is a massive question. I don't have an answer to it, but that that chalkboard is really helpful to me. But going back to when I was fourteen years old, that phone gave me connectivity to other people which helped me develop as an individual it helped my learning not the phone specifically but actually that connectivity I, I think that's the biggest danger that we lose the global site that we have now if technology fails in some way and that global site is 
the ability to reach out to you guys, mm -hmm. who I really respect in terms of your opinions, what am I going to do? Take a Polaroid picture of my chalkboard and mail it to you? And <laughs> you get back to me in two days? Providing the postal service aren't on strike. Absolutely. <laughs> or being sent off to the, the front yeah. in this, this war. But that's where we've got to look at the resilience. That's where we've got to look at. It's not saying technology is everything. It's saying what tools do we have? What can we pick up yeah. in what instance? Saying we have a raft of options that meets every individual need and the majority of some of the resilience that we're going to need. But I agree, I don't. I think at some point we're going to have to acknowledge this is the world we live in. And that is a reliance, and that's bigger than learning. I think that that is the biggest challenge of integration now, though, isn't really what is a life's quirk. It is this globalisation. So mm -hmm. um, in this organisation, brilliant, um, where I work at the moment, it's very, very local, really. Um, but in my last organisation, if I ran out of programme, I'd run out in India and the Philippines and the US. Yeah. And you've got to be really culturally aware of everything. Very. Um, and I think that's the big issue we get now, isn't it? Is the more globalised learning becomes and the more it just goes out there. I mean, this podcast will be out there. Mm. Um, and if I'm in, I don't know, Peru listening to this, does this make sense? What doesn't make sense? And how do we, how do we adapt what we do to make it work for Peruvians as much as it would work for Indonesians as much as it would work for I don't know someone who then you've got the whole accessibility kind of conversation then haven't you yeah. and I think the the advancements that we've made relatively recently has really helped that kind of progression of accessibility and I mean you can you can quite easily change the language of a course that you create a, a couple of clicks of the button you know a couple of clicks of your mouse yeah. you can change the language and yeah. that, that will help somebody in, in that situation but it's it's not being scared to utilize what we have and the tools that we have available to us to teach that message and I think it, it was it's also interesting you said Chris in your previous organization you would create something deliver it to the UK the Philippines India and, and the US in terms of that delivery was it a case of delivering on teams or Webex with a PowerPoint behind you and talking pretty much I think it was it was a lot further ahead than I see nowadays that everyone's forced into that way of working um, because it was a lot of quick speech, quick questions, interactivity, short sessions where a lot of what I see on PowerPoint and uh, through Teams and things nowadays is let's do a classroom into a camera on a screen. Yeah. So I think it was a little bit further ahead but still was pretty much let's create a PowerPoint to keep us all on track, let's create a visual for you to see let's give you something to go away and learn and bring you back because now I'm not we're not reliant on you having to come back and forth to a classroom and the cost involved in that so I think that was great so you could bring experiential learning into part of it um, but then the cultural awareness piece as well I mean it opened up loads of conversations and I think people learn like that ancillary learning learning about the other people you're learning with and how things are different for them and how things work for you I, I, I think that's the perfect example though of technology and humanity. You could develop the tools to deliver this through technology, but then you have to respect the needs of the people at the end of it, be culturally aware, make yeah. sure the message is on point, make sure there's a desire for the learning. And I think if you miss either half of that, then it doesn't work. 
Agree. So there's a, there's advancements that will make this even easier, right? If imagine you were delivering that course in a classroom, right? What would that involve? You know that that would either involve you being flown to all of these different countries to deliver in person, face to face, or having all the delegates flown to you so that you weren't doing it in one country at a time, you were having a, that, that diversity in your classroom. But it's unlikely to happen because a company would rather send, anyone would rather send one individual as opposed to sending 20 people. Yeah. But then you've got your options we've talked about already for the future of technology, which I think is probably closer than we think, but you've got VR. You know, you've got the, the, you've got the ability to have people all across the globe be in the same room at the same time and experience something without having to fly them halfway across the world to get to you. So just to, this is totally as, as an aside, but the first experience I had of doing that with VR, um, I was at a board meeting with a company that was across Germany, France and the UK, all across the UK. And it, we'd just got the kit, mm -hmm. the VR kit. This is about six years ago, so relatively new. So we decided to have a board meeting and each of us had these goggles on, which are horribly uncomfortable. And the settings on the VR wasn't quite right. So you had people sat three foot up in the air yes. at the board table. And people with like their cat as their face. Very and, much. Yeah. And someone put a Darth Vader map yeah. over one of the speakers. It was a really, really good fun. But then seeing that, that was six years ago. And then maybe two years ago, the working at Heights, the evolution's happening. But so. how many board meetings have you attended in your lifetime? Like how many meetings of that caliber, I guess, for want of a better word, have you attended? No idea. I can... Multiple? Yes. Okay, how many do you remember? That one. That one. But why do you remember it? Because it was really funny. Um, it was funny and we did carry on using it and we did glitch it and we sorted it out and we didn't raise someone to ground level, but we did, you know, get them off the ceiling. Yeah. Um, and it was really exciting to just have everyone from all these different countries in the room talking and we still had functions like the hand up like you see on teams yeah. so it was like a more polite board meeting yeah. it was really really good fun um but it was energizing to be using something new again the connectivity with all these different people it was it was the best it was really really good to do it but that was my first foray into vr but that's the power I yeah. think of utilizing technology and learning is you said that was six years ago yeah and it sticks in your mind so well that you can describe it and you start laughing whenever you think about it but all the other board meetings that you've attended in person or virtually you probably don't remember to the same extent no not at all and it's it's having the ability and things didn't go right no first time things never do go right first time but a lot of the time if you can make it fun make it engaging make it interactive to the best that you can with the technology you're using, the likelihood is that that is going to be the most memorable part of somebody's learning journey. And if you're delivering learning in a way that utilizes technology that makes it fun, makes it engaging, makes it interactive, you're much more likely to have the same situation be replicated mm -hmm. where six years later you remember that situation. And I think the whole point is to not be afraid of the technology that's there it's to try as best as you can to embrace it and to make it part of your day-to-day -day life 10 years ago we wouldn't use youtube in the way that we do now you used to yeah. go onto youtube to find a funny cat video or 
watch Charlie bite somebody's finger, right? That's that's what happened on YouTube when it first came out. I think the first YouTube video was like what six seconds long or something. I can't remember, and it's it's like the most one of the most popular videos, but I, I might get that completely wrong. But the amount of content that's available now, the amount of people that absorb content in in that format has grown so much because it's been adopted and become part of society. And who's to say that some of the things that we've been talking about today, like AR, VR, and AI, aren't going to be in a couple of years the same topic of conversation like YouTube is. And there's something else on the horizon that we'll end up talking about that we could recreate this podcast in four or five years time to say you know what actually there's something else on the horizon because we've already adopted all the things that we've been talking about at the moment so can we kind of make that an appointment we're putting the diaries now for four years time yeah we meet up again in this room maybe not this room maybe we do it by vr and we use the latest technology i will we'll, we'll be in the verse of some description metaverse yeah. or google verse can or... i just ask... no hobbitches yeah. <laughs> no not hoverboards go right can I just ask one quick question, because I'm, I'm a little bit curious about this. How often do you go on YouTube? Pretty much every day. Every single day? Yeah. I've probably gone every day. I go on quite a lot, but definitely a couple of times a week. My kids live on YouTube, though. Like, I've got a, I'm constantly watching them watch YouTube to make sure the content they're watching is yeah. okay. So, yeah, probably every day. Are now, you just so. watching things like cat videos, or is it some weird, a new experience or a new insight? Oh, for me, it's all always something new. I'll go on YouTube to watch, like, I don't know, like Colin Firth digging his, yeah. um, like, underground bunkers and things. That's quite cool to watch. Yeah. It varies wildly. I'm on it so, you know, like, every day is, there's a lot of content on there to watch. And I think some of the, my most interesting things that I, I always click on when I see it is informational videos. Like, there's a channel called Kurtz Kazat, which is great, right? Okay. Um, but there's, there's loads of informative videos on there that always try to teach you something new. Okay. Um, so the, the last one that I watched from them was um, all about how cells in the body or, or general cells work, like the language of cells, how do they interact, how do they talk, what's the language, how, you know, how does that all interact, how does everything come together. And it's like a, it's like a 12 minute video and there's, there's not a chance that you'll be able to explain the whole the whole journey of how cells work in 12 minutes, but they do a pretty good job, right? And it's, it's really basic in, in terms of probably the grand scheme of things, but the, the way that it's described is really informative. Okay. I'll get that link from you. That sounds really Yeah, good. I'll send it through. We'll put it in the show notes so that everybody can, okay. can have a look at the channel as well. Any closing remarks from anybody else? Um. I, I, I maintain it's about the individual and it needs to be with respect because different people like different elements of technology and I'm not giving up my chalkboard for anyone. Um, and I, I think it is humanity and technology need to be hand in hand for it to work well. Mm -hmm. I think for me the future outside of learning, really the future that's happening at the moment is all this process automation and yeah. um, something will do the heavy lifting for you. So. I agree completely with that, that everything we're going to learn and the, the next technolo technological breakthrough we're learning is about people because it's all going to be soft skills and people-focused skills that become massively important in the future, yeah. I think. The change is coming. 
changes changes seriously coming just look at the rate of change from the last two years and then consider what's possible over the next two years the, the, the waters around you have grown mm. so we'll see you all in four years i'll put it in the diary now yes for please. our catch up in four years yeah and we'll see how that happens see you later see you in four years four years <laughs>